And so we're going to pick up chapter 15. And this is, John 15 is one of, uh, really such a very profound chapter here. Uh, very, some very famous, uh, uh, familiar things that, G- that, that Jesus says and things that you guys have heard if you've been in church for most of your life. And so it's a really great section to unpack here. But really what's going on here in this section as Jesus is communicating to his disciples, Jesus is really trying to prepare his disciples for his departure. If you remember back, if you look back at, if you, if we, if you remember back to John 13, uh, actually if you go back even a, a little further, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, no, John 13, it would be John, be John 13, no, yeah, John 12. He starts talking about the Son of Man must be lifted up. So he starts speaking in language about his death and how he's going to die. And then, and, then, and then you go into John 13, and again, the disciples are still confused. And they, they think he's, again, here to set up an earthly kingdom. He starts talking about leaving, going away. And then he washes their feet. And, and, and in the midst of all that, before that, he told, he told them that one of them was going to be, betray him and and so and there's just a lot of confusion here after after he communicates about Judas betraying him uh, he foretells Peter's denial and so there's just a lot of confusion about what's happening but he's really trying to get them to understand I'm leaving so when you get into chapter 14 he promises the Holy Spirit and he talks about how I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you helpless. I'm going away, but there's a, a, a helper coming. There's a, a comforter is coming. Again, they don't get it yet. They do not comprehend that he's, what does it mean you're going away? And so he's trying to prepare them. If you look back, if you have your Bible open to John 14, it's, there's no, I don't have it up for the screen. But verse 27 is, well, let's go to 26. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's a really interesting verse there. What he's saying is, I know basically you're going to forget all this stuff right now. You don't know what's happening. You have no clue. But I'm sending you somebody who's going to help you out. The Holy Spirit's going to come and is going to remind you of these things that I've been telling you. And, and then the dots are going to connect. This is after the resurrection. The dots will begin to connect and they're going to understand. And they're going to, be, and they're going to turn the world upside down because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. The dots are going to connect. They're going to understand about why Jesus lived the way he lived and why he had to be crucified and they'll see the power of the resurrection and it'll all come together and that's where the power of the Holy Spirit the power of the Spirit will begin to work through them and then verse 27 of 14 is so powerful he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as, not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid so he knows He's, he knows they're going to forget this. He knows they're going to forget the significance of it. But what's powerful is, is what he just said before that. He said, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you of the things that I've told you. And do you, do you guys, we all realize here that they needed to be reminded of verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The disciples had reason to be afraid after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every apostle except John, who's the author of this book and, and of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, every apostle except John was martyred for their faith, was, was, was killed, persecuted, and martyred. 
And so they had reason to be afraid. And so I just, this is the context. This is the picture of what's going on here. And, and so as we get into John 15, here's, this is another, um, I guess, another way of Jesus helping them in the future before they realize they need help. Because what Jesus is going to describe here in John 15 is true Christianity. He's going to describe here in John 15 using the, using the language of a vine and of a branch to really show them what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because after the resurrection, persecution from the outside world is going to, was going to begin to increase because of the desire of people to, to squash the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also... The enemy, Satan, wants to attack from within the church, and that has always been his dual approach. He wants to attack from the outside, and he wants to attack from the inside. And from the inside, it's through false teachers. From the inside, it's from people who, who want to downplay the significance of the gospel, who want to change the gospel message. It's false teaching. And so when, when he talks about this language of a vine and of branches, and how branches true branches that are connected to the vine bear fruit and he begins to demonstrate for them so they will understand and they can say this is a believer this is not a believer this is somebody who's claiming to be a christian but wait a minute i'm not really sure and so the, this is in this is in this context this is why he's telling them this this is the heart of what is going on here so let's look at the text let's read these verses and we'll unpack it john 15 1 through 11 I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have given to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You got to write that on your, your refrigerator right there. John fifteen five, the second part of 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That should be your life motto that you live by. God, apart from you, I can't do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, or so that, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Amen? Amen. So let's see what we can learn here from, these, from this section of Scripture. With that context in mind, Jesus preparing them for the future, of whenever he's not going to be there, and the helper will be there. The first thing we see here is this, is that Jesus is the only one who can produce spiritual life. Jesus is the only one who can, who can produce spiritual life. So if you look at, let's go back to this phrase. He says there, John 15, the first part of one, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. This is the seventh and final I am statement of Jesus in the gospel of John. He says, I am the true vine. 
And what Jesus is declaring here is that he is the only source of true spiritual life. So when you think about a vine and when you think about Middle Eastern time and you think about vines and grapes, you think about how the vine is the, is the source or you think about the roots of a tree, it's the source of life and sustenance and strength. It's, it's what produces fruit. And so when Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is that I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. I'm the only way to have true spiritual life. I'm it. And so in saying that he's the true vine, he's declaring also at the same time that there are other ways in which people will try to find spiritual strength. And you know that's true. We know that's true. We talked about that on Sunday. That people look to many different ways, many different means to try to find spiritual strength and spiritual life. They try to grow spiritually in many different approaches. But if it's, if it's apart from the truth of scripture, apart from the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's a false vine. And it's temporary and it won't last. And so if you're trying to, to get spiritual strength and sustenance for your life, apart from Christ, apart from his word, apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your life, it, 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 ends, it ends in emptiness. There's nothing to sustain you. So this is what he's saying. I am the true vine. And by making that bold statement, he's declaring that the other, the other ways are not true. They're false. So when you look at scripture... There's really three primary pictures of vines, of, of, of different vines throughout Scripture. And the first one is the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel was, was designed to be a place where, where the truth of God would come to a, a, to a people, to a nation, and where spiritual truth would flow through. And, and here's what happened. The vine produced wild grapes. The vine rejected the truth. The, the nation of Israel rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. And instead of practicing justice, it practiced oppression. Instead of producing righteousness, it produced unrighteousness. And so God had to deal with the nation of Israel and to chasten it. But even, the, even that did not produce lasting results. When God's own son came to the vineyard of the nation of Israel, they cast him out and they killed him. So they proved, listen, they proved to be a false place to find spiritual sustenance. So if you were to go to the nation of Israel today, to go to Judaism today, it doesn't culminate in Jesus as Messiah, so that's a false system of spiritual life, right? Any system that you try to go to that points away from the sufficiency of Christ for spiritual life, there's no true life there. And so that, so, so the, the nation of Israel, of Israel had an opportunity when, the, when Jesus came, but they rejected him. Look, look, look at this. This is a parable. It's a parable of the, a vineyard. It's a parable in Matthew 21. It, it's a little lengthy, but I, 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 I want you to hear it. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, but put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first. This is a picture of the prophets coming to the nation of Israel to declare about the Messiah coming. And that's what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. He said, you stone the prophets that's, that have come to you. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first. This would be John the Baptist. And they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. 
come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And isn't that what, what the nation of Israel did in, in the, with the Pharisees? What does it say as we study in the, in the Gospels? That the Pharisees were intimidated by Jesus because they were worried about their power. That's the picture here of this parable. Wait, this is the heir. This is a person of authority here. Our, our authority is threatened. So let's take him out. So they took him and, and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Who was the stone that the builders rejected? It was Christ. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, speaking of Israel, and given to a people producing its fruits, giving it to the Gentiles. So we are, that's who we are, right? We have been given, we've been grafted into the, to, to that vine, but we are producing lasting fruits because of our, of our faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They were pretty quick right there. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is the false vine of the nation of Israel. They ultimately rejected Christ, and they could have been a source of truth if they would have embraced Christ as the Messiah. And ultimately, we know that they will return and as a part of God's plan, and they will look on him whom they've pierced. And that's the truth of Scripture. Second vine, nation of Israel is the first vine. And then we see the vine of the earth. It's a description we see in Revelation 14. This is the Gentile world system, the vine of the earth. It's, it's the world system. And this is the picture here. It's the idea that the world seeks to be. Satan and the rulers of this world seek to be a place where you and I will be tempted to run to for, for strength, for spiritual sustenance. We'll be tempted to go to the system of this world to find peace, to find joy, to find happiness. Apart from the true vine, as Jesus declared himself to be. It's the vine of the earth. This is a Gentile world system ripening for God's judgment. Believers are branches, branches in the vine of heaven, the true vine. But the unsaved are branches in the vine of the earth. The unsaved depend on this world for their sustenance and satisfaction. While believers depend on Jesus Christ. I want to read this. this is, again, this is a picture of the vine of the earth and the, and the world system and, and how it will be destroyed. This is a very vivid picture here. Very descriptive. Revelation 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. And seated on the cloud one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head. And a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in the sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. 
So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. A judgment of the, uh, on the world systems, the, 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 the grapes of the earth, the vines of the earth that, were meant, that are trying to be sources of strength and sustenance for people, but they're empty. There's judgment coming, the wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, so so vivid and staggering. And the blood from the judgment flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. So what this means is, is that a horse's bridle, an average horse's bridle during that time would have been four feet six inches, four feet six inches high. And a stadia is a, is a Greek measurement system. And it basically, the 1600 stadia would be equivalent to 180 miles. So four feet six inches blood 180 miles out that's can't even fathom can't even fathom the wrath of God coming down upon the world system and the people that embraced the false place of spiritual strength a false place of satisfaction and peace they rejected the one true vine Jesus says I am the true vine he said I am the way the truth and the life I am the light of the world. I am the true bread. He says, I am, I am, I am. I am the only way. And people who reject him and go after the vine of the earth fall under the wrath of God. And we see it in Revelation 14. It's staggering. So the third vine, and we've already said it, is Jesus the true vine. Jesus the true vine. All, listen to this, all other vines are substitutes for true spiritual life. John 6 is a contrast very similar when Jesus declares that he is the true bread. John 6, 55 says this, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father has sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate. Again, he's contrasting two sources of spiritual strength. You got the vine of the nation of Israel. The fathers provided sustenance, but it, I am not like them. I'm different. I'm the true bread. I'm the true vine. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will what? Live forever. Jesus is the true vine. He is the true vine. Jesus is the only one who can produce spiritual life, true spiritual life. And this is what we see in his declaration at the beginning of this section. I am the true vine. The second thing we see as we move on here is that spiritual life will be produced when we truly abide in Christ. So we see he boldly declares that I am the only way for spiritual truth. I am the vine that will produce life. And that spiritual life that is produced from the vine will be produced in anyone who is a believer. It will be produced. Spiritual life will be produced when we truly abide in Christ. This is what it says here. It says, let's go back to the text section here. It doesn't say it yet, but it it gives the opposite picture. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So he says, I am the true vine. And the picture is that there are branches connected to this vine that should be produce, it, that produces spiritual life. And if there's a branch that is 
connected to the vine that does not produce spiritual life, it's not bearing fruit, it gets taken away. It gets cast out. And as we read further in John 15, it says it gets cast out, taken away, and cast into the fire. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of hell, eternal separation from God there. And so here's the picture, is that if you are, we're, we're branches, and you're, either, you're gonna either be connected to the vine and produce fruit, or you're gonna be connected to the vine and not produce fruit and be cast away. And so spiritual life will be produced when we truly abide in Christ. When a branch is truly abiding in the vine, it will produce fruit. Spiritual fruit, hear me, is the evidence of the genuineness of our faith. Spiritual fruit is the evidence of the genuineness of our faith. True disciples have a permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. True disciples have a permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. Disciples will produce fruit. It's part of their new nature. It's part of their new nature. So to abide in Christ is a picture of staying, of staying, of continuing. That's what it means to abide. You continue, you stay, you're in the pattern of your life. On Sunday, we talked about how the Apostle Paul said, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Their, their understanding is darkened. That, that word walk talked about the pattern of their life. This is kind of a similar picture here. It's when he talks about abiding, abiding means that you're staying, you're consistent. It's the pattern of your life and, 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 and spiritual fruit will be the pattern of your life if you are truly connected to the vine. You will, you will bear fruit. You guys remember in Matthew 13, the parable of the sowers? Jesus talked about the parable of the sowers and the sower went out to sow and, and, and the picture of the parable of the sowers is that the, the seed is the word of God and so he tells the parable and he gives the explanation in Matthew 13. Starting in verse 18, he says this, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the kingdom, does not understand it, it is the evil one comes and snatches what has been sown. This is what was sown along the path. So what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It has no root in himself. It's not connected to spiritual life. But endures for a while when tribulation and persecution arises, it proves to not be true. They fall away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears and then the cares of the world suck. This is the, listen, this is the vine of the earth. The vine of the earth. They hear the word, they receive it, but then, but then it, they really prove to not actually be connected to the vine because they're still connected to the vine of the earth and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, do what? Choke out the word. And it proves unfruitful. They're not producing fruit. Here's, the, here's genuine salvation. Here's a picture of what it means to be saved. This is what it means when you're connected to the vine. It means that you hear the word. It's the good soil. You hear, you understand, and then you do what? bear fruit. You hear, you understand, and you bear fruit. And it yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. So two thoughts right here at the end of Matthew 13. That's, right, the first thought is this, is that's the progression. That's the picture of salvation. How can anyone be saved unless they hear the gospel? And how can the gospel be preached unless there's a preacher? And how can the preacher preach unless he is sent and so all of us the great commission we've all been sent i'm a preacher you're a preacher 
We're all preachers, right? So we are all sent through the Great Commission, and so we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people hear. Some people hear into salvation, and, and, and that salvation comes when they understand. When they understand. What does it mean to understand the gospel? It means to understand that God is holy, and I'm sinful, I cannot approach a holy God in this condition that I'm in. And, and, and I recognize that condition. I understand that there's a chasm between me and God. And the only way to bridge that chasm is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in the crucifixion and through the power of the resurrection. My faith in believing that Jesus died and was raised, it, it bridges that chasm. And now I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. They hear, they understand. And then, John 15, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. But what's interesting, the second thing that's interesting here is that, which will actually lead us to our third point here in John 15, it says that these people who are genuine believers, they're going to bear fruit, but it gives three different stages. It says some will be a hundredfold, so that's a a larger amount. Some will be 60 and then another 30. So they're going to yield fruit at different levels. So here's what that means. Not all believers are equally fruitful, but all believers will be fruitful. Not all believers are equally fruitful, but all believers will be fruitful. There are no fruitless Christians. You can't, there's no person that is a fruitless Christian. This is what we see in John 15 and Matthew 13. A Christian will produce fruit of change, of fruit, the fruit of a new nature. Romans 6.1, how can you who have died to sin continue in it any longer? Shall, or Romans 6, 1, how, shall we continue in sin because grace abounds? God forbid. How can you who have died to sin, if you've died to sin in Christ, been crucified, raised to newness of life, what's been raised to newness of life? Your spirit. You have a new nature. If you're a new person, you're gonna do what? You're gonna do, you're gonna do new things. I can do the old things. You can do new things. Sometimes I try to get that across to my children. If you really are repentant, you're going to do something different. And sometimes they don't get that, as most kids don't. I was fussing my son on the way here. You know, like with Apple, this is a total sidebar here. Put your brain on pause here with the spiritual relevance. Um, But you know with Apple, everything is seamless. iPhone, iPad, iPad. Uh, MacBook, everything goes together. So my text messages go on my laptop. Joel was on my laptop watching a movie on my laptop last night and I was discussing with Estelle something on the way to church about a text message and Joel finished my thought. I was like, Joel, you read my text messages? (laughs) Like, because I'll talk about church business that is none of his business at 12 years old or any age, really, you know. And so, um, and I was fussing him and Estelle said, you know you did the same thing. I said, yeah, but my parents did have smartphones. But I know I did, right? You, you have, I had bionic ears like all of you had when you were growing up. And you would, you could, you put your ear to the door. You try to eavesdrop, right? We all did that. And so here's, a, I'm, I'm trying to get my kids to understand that if they really are repentant and they really understand that they're going to change and, and, and they're going to have different behavior. And that's Christianity. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle change. But we're all at different levels. We're all, some of us are bearing more fruit than others. And the, and the point is, is that we're going to increasingly, excuse me, bear more fruit. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to bear more fruit as we mature in the faith. And that's what we see as we continue on in John 15. So, not all believers are equally fruitful, 
but all believers will be fruitful. So what happens when we're not bearing the fruit we should as believers? So that's, that's the next point here, point three. When we are not producing, what does the vine dresser do? He does his pruning. When we're not producing, he does his pruning. And that's the next section in this text. So Jesus is the true vine and all the branches that don't produce fruit get cast away. And then it says here, every branch that does bear fruit, which is a true branch, a true believer, he prunes so that they may bear more fruit. So that it will go from 30 to 60 to 100. 30 to 60 to 100. So it will increase. Isn't that the goal, right? Don't you want to be more fruitful in your life? You know, and that's kind of what we're in on Sundays in, in this series, The Spiritual Life. The purpose is, and, and, and look, this next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that, we're, we're going to be covering three big topics here of areas that we all struggle in as Christians. We're going to be talking about the way we talk and our words. Then we're, we're going to be talking about unforgiveness. And then we're going to be talking about sexual sin. Three big things that we all struggle with in, in our life or can struggle in. And the purpose and, and the idea is that in our Christian life, we should be bearing more fruit. It should be increasing. That if we are truly connected to the true vine, that we're going to change. We're going to mature. We're going to grow. We're going to go from 30 to 60 to 100. And, and the point is, is that it's okay. It's okay if you're still at that 30 level and you're trusting the Lord to continue to help you to grow. The point is, is that you recognize, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I should be. I've made some mistakes, and Lord, help me to mature. And God will be faithful to prune you, to cut away, to cut away things that shouldn't be there. You know, that's the purpose of sanctification. This is, this is what happens in sanctification. It's the training of our flesh, our mind, our will, and our emotions. That mind, that will, and our emotions were trained by our old man, which only wanted to disobey God. And when that old man dies and only one new man comes back to life, that new man, our spirit man, must train our mind, our will, and our emotions to obey, what are we learning on Sunday? The spirit instead of the flesh. That's spiritual growth. That is sanctification. And so it's progressive. It's one step to another step to another step. It's more perfectly conformed to the image of Christ from one level of glory to the next level of glory. And so how does this happen? It's called pruning. It's called pruning. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I want to bear more fruit in my life. The vine dresser is the father. And the father prunes the branches in two ways. This is the picture in their day. He cuts away dead wood in in a practical sense with vines. He cuts away dead wood that can breed disease and insects. And he cuts away living tissue so that the life of the vine will not be so dissipated that the quality of the crop will be be jeopardized. In fact, the, the vine dresser will even cut away whole bunches of grapes so that the rest of the crop will be of higher quality. You're like, I think God's done that to me. He cut away some good things in my life. Whole bunches of grapes. God, why are you taking that from me? I like that. I like that relationship. Or I like this. And you think it's good, but actually it's sucking the life out of you. So sometimes you think, well, this is good. And God, this can't be good that you're taking away from me. But the vine dresser knows. The vine dresser knows. And he sees what's good and bad for you. Sometimes he cuts away whole bunches of things that look good. 
so that the rest of the crop, so the long, in the long view, it's going to be higher quality. Isn't that good? God wants both quantity and quality. The pruning process is the most important part of the whole enterprise of, of a vineyard. And the people who do it must, care, must be carefully trained or they can destroy an entire crop. So vineyards invest, some vineyards invest two or three years in training the pruners so they know where to cut, how much to cut, and even at what angle to make the cut. Did you get this parallel here? It's precision. It's precision. And as our Heavenly Father is the vine dresser, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's cutting in some areas, and you, oh, this is hurting, Lord. You took away some good stuff that I thought was really good, and I don't understand that. And now you're cutting, cutting at some sharp angles here. And it's really hurting me. I, I don't understand. And you feel that discipline. And that's kind of what, what it is. And you know what's, 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 what's interesting is, is that for believers, that's the loving care of our Father. The loving care of our, of, our, of our vine dresser. He takes care of us as branches so that we will produce more. The opposite of that, we never want. We should, we should hope that we will never have the opposite of that, which is God letting us go. God saying, okay, okay, you want to live life your own way? Go ahead. I'll leave you up to the consequences of your choices. Go ahead. That's Romans 1. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. You remember when we read that on Sunday? They saw the obvious reality of a creator. Then they, they said, I'm going to ignore that reality. I'm going to suppress that truth and unrighteousness. And so then they, they lived depraved. They lived in futile thinking. Their spiritual hearts were darkened. And so they exchanged the natural use of, of women and men for the unnatural use. And, 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 and they worshiped created things instead of the eternal God. And it says that God gave them up or gave them over to the lust of their flesh, to depravity. You never want to be there that God gives you over. That's a form of God's wrath. It's, it's a form of God's wrath for him to say, okay, okay I'm, a form of my wrath is that I'm going to let you go to suffer the consequences of your choices. But when we are a part of the vine, when we are a true branch and we're grafted in and we're bearing fruit, but we're, but we're not where we need to be, he'll discipline us. He'll prune us. He'll cut us. And so sometimes it hurts, but it's actually a, a proof that you belong to him. That's what you see in Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the, dis, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. So, so I, I like to tell that to my kids. Because I love you, I discipline you. Because I love you, I, I make sure you receive consequences for your bad choices. Because if I didn't love you and I left you alone, as we talked about earlier, I just let you alone, it proves that 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 I'm, I, that I'm, that you're not my ch- that you're not my child that you're not my son that, and that you're and that you're not my daughter because what type of father or mother is going to leave their children to to themselves a true father and a mother is going to lovingly discipline their children it is for discipline that you have to endure 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined the earthly fathers for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God, divine dresser, prunes, disciplines, cuts away for our good so that we may share his holiness. 30, 60, and 100. He prunes, he cuts away so that we may share in his holiness so that we may bear fruit continually. 30, 60, and 100. For the moment, God, this doesn't look good. For the moment, all training, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, what does it do? It produces, it yields the peaceable, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I'm the true vine, Jesus says, and if you're abiding in me, you're gonna bear fruit. And if you're lacking in your fruit, I'm gonna discipline you, I'm gonna train you. And you know this word discipline, sometimes we think of it as, as like a spanking. It's, it's, a, it's a correction and that is a part of it. God can correct you. But really, another picture of that is training. It's training, it's training. It's loving training, just like with a child. Just like when our children, we know, hey, don't go near the street. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't go here, don't go there. Don't stay out past 10 o'clock because nothing good happens after 10 o'clock, right? We we know, right? So it's, it's training, trying to raise our children up to walk in wisdom. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father, with our spiritual vine dresser. It is correction and discipline, but it is also training, and so we can be thankful. Are you thankful for the Lord's discipline? Amen. And I know we, we've, we've, we've all experienced that, right? The discipline of the Lord. And so when you are being disciplined, you're being corrected, just yield. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And this is so good. Thank you that I am sensitive to that. That's another evidence of, of genuine salvation is that when the Lord corrects and he chastens, you yield. You yield. Your heart's not hard. You're sensitive. Isn't that what we want with our children too? We want them to yield. And my kids love me. They love me. I, I, I love the moment. You know, there's times where when I discipline my children and I have, to, I have to bring truth and it hurts them. And, and it's hard and they'll cry. And, and, but I love the moment when they come. And I always love them, kiss on them, but later on they come to me. And I just, I, I love it. They give me the hug, Daddy, I love you. And, and they love on me. That, that's the picture right there. Is that there's that yielding, there's that surrender, there's that desire to be in a relationship because they recognize, they eventually get to the place where they recognize that I really do love them and then they really do love me because they have surrendered, they've yielded. And that's what we have to do when the Lord corrects us. We say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. Help, help me to grow. Amen. I'm skipping a big section in John 15 because this could be a really long message here. But we're down to our last point. There's some sections there that I just didn't have time to unpack. But we're going to kind of skip down here in John 15. So all of this, abiding in the vine, producing, producing fruit that demonstrates that you're a child of God. And whenever we're lacking in fruit... This discipline and this training, this pruning, this cutting away that will help us to grow more and to be more fruitful. All of this does something. Let's look back at the text. The very end there. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. The last thing is this, is that those who abide in Christ have lasting joy. Those who abide in Christ have lasting joy. You believe that? Abiding in Christ produces lasting joy. And here's the contrast. If you're abiding in anything else for strength and peace and joy and happiness in your life, if you're abiding in false vines of the earth, there's no lasting joy. There's no lasting joy. Abiding in Christ produces a joy that the world cannot offer. The world can only offer temporary happiness. It can only offer Temporary things that will only give us temporary happiness, not joy. Happiness is temporary. Joy is down deep. Happiness is here one day, it's gone the next. Joy is there. It's a part of who you are. So you got that one person, whoever they are in South Carolina, they woke up this morning realizing that they had won $1.537 billion. So when, when you hear about the mega millions, which is actually was mega billions now, what are the questions you hear people ask? So I was listening to 870, and here's the questions. First question, any caller would call into the talk show, the host would ask them two questions. What, what are you gonna do? And what are you gonna buy first? Right, that's what people do. You think, and you think, oh, what am I going to do? You dream, oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. And even if you're like me, who doesn't buy Mega Millions tickets, I've had the conversation with coworkers. I've had the conversation with friends. Well, you know, if I would have a weak moment and not yield fruit for a season and, and uh, go buy a Mega Millions ticket. You know, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if I went and bought a, a lottery ticket that I would win. Do you know Why? Because I'm convinced that the Lord would make me give it all away and not keep a penny. Either that or my, the Lord or my wife. Because she told me that. She said, if you ever buy a lottery ticket and you win, we're not keeping a penny. Anyway, just a little sidebar there. <laughs> but I'm convinced that, it, that you know, I look, I, that's a whole other subject. I know I've raised all kind of thoughts in your mind. I apologize for that. I know some of you probably in here, you probably bought a ticket. I'm not saying you're going to hell because you bought a lottery ticket. I know Christians that buy lottery tickets, but that's another subject about wisdom and stewardship and all, and all of that. But, but you ask the question, what would you do? What would you buy first? And here's, and here's what you think. Here's the built-in logic. The built-in logic is, well, if I have all of that money, then I can buy all of these possessions, and I can have all of these things, and then I'm going to be what? Happy. I'm going to be happy because if I have more things, more things produces more happiness. That's the logic if you're connected to the vine of the earth. If you're connected to the vine of the earth, you're getting sustenance from the vine of the earth, then that's how you think. You think a bigger house, a nicer car. You think more money in my checking account, ability to travel wherever I want to travel, whenever I want to do it. All of those things are going to produce happiness. And we know that that's not true. And you know, you look at the stories of all the ones that have won the Powerball and the, and, and the Mega Millions throughout the years. The consistent pattern in their life is bankruptcy and divorce and, and murder. They get killed. People take, want to take their money. Families are split apart because 
People you didn't know were your relatives coming out of the woodworks and they're wanting money to start businesses and just craziness goes on. So Solomon, who won a few mega billions in his life, right? He was the richest man. He was richer than, than any of the billionaires put together current times. Well, that, that was Solomon. And he had all the possessions and all of the wealth that you could have. And he had, he had countless wives and, 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 and mistresses. And he, he, he tried everything the world had to offer. He sucked the vine of the earth dry. And what did he say? Vanity of vanities. I accumulate all this stuff. And when I die, somebody takes it from me. I accumulate all of this, and this is what's crazy. Somebody comes after me that didn't work for it, didn't earn it, and they take it and they waste it. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. And you know what he ended with? After he thought about life deeply, he drank deeply from the vine of the earth, the earthly ways, and he finally concluded. Ecclesiastes 12, here is now my final conclusion. This is what life is all about. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is every man's duty. That's where it's at. It's, it's to abide in the vine, in the true vine, which is the true source of contentment and joy. Abide in him and obey his commandments. That's the full duty of man. So, if we know that that true happiness is not, that, that we don't find joy that route from the vine of the earth, why is it that as believers, why do we have joy as believers? Why do we have joy instead of happiness as believers? Why do you think? You guys can talk to me. Why do we have joy instead of happiness? Don't all talk at once. I can start calling names. Scott. Man, that's good. It's eternal. That's why we have joy as believers. It's, it's an eternal joy. Because it's connected to eternal realities. It's not temporary. Amen. Anybody else? That probably sums it all up. <laughs> right? But is, does anybody else have a thought that came to their mind? When you're going through things, you know the outcome. That's good because if you're not in Christ, you're not abiding in the vine, when things are going rough, then it's really, you just, it's just temporary happiness that's connected to your situation. But as a believer, because we know that our life is in his hands and he's faithful as Heather sung earlier, he's faithful, then we can still have joy in the middle of our suffering. That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. So here's, my answer to the question, why do we have joy as believers? Our joy as believers comes from the reality that there is nothing, kind of like what Kate was saying here, there is nothing in this life that can change our position with Christ. That's, it's, it's eternal. There's nothing in this life, no circumstance I can go through because I'm connected to the vine, the true vine, which is Christ, and I'm receiving true spiritual strength. There is nothing in this life the world can offer no, no temporary happiness, no substance, no pleasure, nothing this world can offer. No struggle, no pain, no suffering that can, that can remove me and take me away from Christ and his love. Because of that, that's the source of true joy. 
And in closing, I just want to close reading this. And this is what Romans 8 tells us. This is what Romans 8 tells us. For us who abide in the true vine. This is our reality. If you abide in the true vine, this is our reality. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charging against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is, in, is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is the truth. And that reality is only true for those who are connected to the true vine. To the one who boldly declared, I am the true vine. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that, that impacts our heart. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to stay connected to the true vine, to your son. Help us to cling to him and to not cling, not to be tempted to chase after the vine of the earth. It is a false vine. That is a vine that doesn't produce spiritual life. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to reject that false truth and to cling to you with all of our heart. And Lord, I thank you that, that the reality is true. Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love and we are abiding in you and you're abiding in us. That your will is done in our lives. And that nothing can separate us from your love. No hard, no difficult situation that we face, no cancer, no disease, no anxiety, no worry, no, no bankruptcy, no any circumstance we face will be able to take us away from your love and the lasting joy that we have in our relationship with you. I thank you for that truth that we've heard here tonight. Seal it in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.